I have an incredible episode lined up for you today. I'm joined by the author of the best-selling book, Why Waiting Works. Rob Kowalski is also the host of the Kowalski Analysis Podcast. And guys, if you're single and you're listening to this, if you're an ambitious Christian man, you're going to want to learn from Rob because he has an incredible, powerful testimony of how he left of life of being a nightclub promoter, a stripper, a promiscuous lifestyle, and stepped into his purpose after a radical encounter with God where he launched a movement around why waiting works. In this episode, we get into some really interesting topics, especially around productivity and what you can accomplish when you harness that energy within you that God's placed in you to follow your purpose above pursuing a person. This is a great episode with a lot of actionable takeaways that you can apply in your life today. Let's get into it. You are listening to Raising the Standard, leadership, mindset, and development for the kingdom man. If you've ever wondered, how can I be the man God created me to be? Or maybe you asked yourself, what purpose does God have for my life? If that sounds like you, then you're in the right place. My goal is simple, to help you access the unfair advantage all Christian men have and give you actionable strategies to reach your full potential. My name is Josh Kachadorian. I am a best-selling author, husband, father, disciple, and son of Jesus Christ. If you're ready to get off the sidelines, upgrade into your identity as a kingdom man, and take the territory that God has for you, then it's time to raise the standard. Rob, it's great to have you on the show, man. Been looking forward to this. Welcome, brother. Thanks, Josh. I've been looking forward to it, too. I can't wait to talk. Yeah, man. So Rob, you're the author of a book called Why Waiting Works. I want to jump right in for our listeners, which are ambitious Christian business guys. We have a lot of single guys. We also have married guys that listen to the show. Tell me the concept of Why Waiting Works. You're an author. You wrote this book. This is your message. Can you just give us a little bit about it right up front in the show? And then we're going to unpack this and get into your story. Yeah, absolutely. I I believe that Why Waiting Works is the most practical book that's ever been written on the subject of uh, saving sex for marriage. When I started down this journey 22 years ago, I did not understand the concept of waiting. I had a l- little bit of church experience as a kid, and they used to tell you not to have sex, but they never really told you why. So as I grew up, I didn't listen, and I became very promiscuous. And and uh, I feel like they still don't do a great job of explaining a very complicated subject. So uh, that's what I sought out to do. Instead of just saying it's sin or the, you know, the marriage bed should be you know, not defiled or whatever else they tell you. No, let's break it down for real, for real. How's it going to play out if I wait and if I don't wait and, you know, pra- practically? Yeah. Wow. There's so much there that we got to get into this. This is, a, this is a critical subject because, I mean, Rob, you know, I don't have to tell you, but we, we live in a day and age where it's like we're being bombarded by images, by you know, just all sorts of stuff coming at us that's hypersexualizing the culture, young people, kids, um, even the fight in the political arena to hypersexualize children at a very young age. So this has never been more critical to have this conversation, specifically for the young guys that are listening, guys that are single, even if they're not young, even if they're single right now, because we're trying to move ahead. We're trying to take the territory that God has for us in life. And this can be a major trap. This can be a major obstacle that guys get caught up in and can really sideline them from their purpose. And I know that happened for for you a little bit in your life because of your backstory. So tell me more about your backstory and why you were qualified to write this book. I just want our audience to really get to know who you are and the authority that you're approaching this with. Yeah, thanks for asking. So my mom was 14 when she got pregnant with me and uh, my dad never lived in the same state. So she, you know, raised me with an eighth grade education. We were very poor. I didn't have like a strong male role model ever in the picture until I was, until my mom met my stepfather, which well, I guess I was about 14 or 15 at that point. So I was like, just kind of an insecure kid. Um, and I, I didn't, I learned how to be a man from watching television and movies. That, that's no one ever talked to me about sex or, or I didn't, again, I didn't have a strong male role model. And I, at some point I really just kind of felt like, you know, men are good with girls. You know, if I'm, if I'm good, if I could pick up girls and then I'm going to, that's going to validate me. And that wasn't a conscious thing, but it's, I just, I kind of guess I just thought I was girl crazy. And, uh, I remember when I was about 15 years old, 14 or 15, I walked in to the 
crappy apartment that me and my mom lived in. And there was a, a videotape on the coffee table and I, I didn't know what it was. So I, I went over, I grabbed it and I put it in the VCR. Some people remember what a VCR is. And all of a sudden on the television were like Chippendales or some of these male strippers. And I, I remember the first thought that popped in my head was that's what I want to be when I grow up. And it wasn't normal, right? Cause most kids want to be like a cop or a, fireman or an astronaut <laughs> i wanted to be a stripper that was my my dream at 14 and uh not long after that i lost my my virginity became pretty sexually active and then when i was 19 i started working for an entertainment agency in baltimore started stripping and then over the next few years i was working for all the entertainment agencies i became like the their t top guy i was getting you know getting more requests than anybody i was in the phone book and i was having lots of casual sex you know couple hundred one night stands. Um, and I got my first relationship I got into was with a girl that I slept with on the first date. We continued having sex and, and, uh, ended up spending five years together, but it was not a great relationship. Um, I've really kind of felt stuck, I guess, um, more than anything, but unable to get out of the relationship for whatever reason. And you know, this was before I knew anything about what I know now about soul ties and all that. But, uh, uh, you know, I, and I heard relationships take work and all the things that they say. And, uh, and, but I, I, I thought maybe that was what they meant. Uh, but I, what I did know was I, I never had eyes for on, only one girl, even if it was the girl I was in a relationship, I, I didn't have eyes for only her. I was looking at other women and wondering if I could be happier with them. And I just, you know, reason that, you know, maybe, maybe I wasn't the kind of guy that could fall in love or maybe, uh, you know, humans aren't supposed to be monogamous or you hear a lot of different things. I didn't know. I just knew that I, I didn't, I wasn't all in on any one girl in particular. And, um, when I was 27 years old, I was on vacation in Cancun, Mexico, and, uh, I got baptized in the Holy spirit and it was out of the blue. It was like a road to Damascus experience. But basically what God told me was that, it wasn't me. It wasn't because I wasn't wired to, to be, you know, monogamous or, or to fall in love. It was because of how I was handling sex. It was because I wasn't doing it his way and that, you know, he had someone for me. And if I, um, basically followed his way that I would be able to fall in love. So when I was 27 years old, I committed to following the Lord. I did the most radical 180 a person can do. I quit stripping. I was actually a a very popular or very uh, successful nightclub promoter at the time in Baltimore. So I quit, quit doing all that. And I was abstinent for the next six years. So I went from being like the biggest man whore in my city to being no sex for six years, waiting for this woman. I thought that God had for me. <clears throat> and, um, when I started out down this way of life, I just, I didn't understand the concept of waiting. I, to me, I thought it was like, I actually, I thought it was silly. I was like, we're going to make each other feel good. Why would we wait? And, uh, but it was in that six years, really for selfish reasons, I, I did it because I thought if I didn't sin, God would give me, you know, some great woman to fall in love with because I had been un unable to fall in love with anyone. So was, part of it was selfish reasons why I did it, but it really, I started to understand why I kept making the same mistakes. And really, again, the practicality of saving sex for marriage in a way that I don't know if anybody understood, because I don't think anyone's lived at the polar ends of the spectrum of sex that I have. Like, literally, I had hundreds of, of, of sexual encounters. And then I've been abstinent for, you know, 17 of the last 22 years. So like, it really gives you a unique perspective. And um I made the, I made a video, uh, before, when I was writing the book, I made it the video, a video called 10 reasons not to have sex before marriage posted it on YouTube. It went viral, became the number one video in the world on the subject. And now I just really have a passion for explaining it to people because you're right. It, it, I think for men, it, nothing's going to take, rob you of the potential that God has for you like sex. And you know, if it goes, it goes back to, <clears throat> there wasn't very many tenants in the early church. James said one of the, there was like four things. It was like, don't be sexually immoral. Don't drink the blood of strangled animals. It was like just a couple things. That was the only rules. And, it, you know, I think about the verse, um, when you start talking about men and potential, it says, let, and this is in the new Testament. I don't remember where, but it says, let no one be God, let no one be sexually immoral or godless like Esau who traded his birthright for a bowl of stew. 
And if you think about what did Esau do? Esau had a birthright. He had a double portion of the inheritance. And he came in, he was hungry, and he traded it for a bowl of stew, which is very temporary. So think about like, you know, you have a purpose for being on this earth. You have a person that's going to help you get there. And you trade it for a piece of tail because you're horny. And then you're, guess what? You're horny again a few hours later, but it's gone. So I think that that's really what, what happens for, for men and uh, men are so, I could get, go so far down that hole. It's, yeah, it's just, I, I don't know what you want to talk. I, no, I want to take you down there, but I want to back up because, you know, what I saw as the catalyst as you're explaining the story, getting into your backstory, um, part of it was there was an absence of male leadership in the house, right? Mm, absolutely. So something was missing where you didn't, no one taught you how to be a man. No one showed you what to do. So you were looking at this, you know, you saw this tape and these guys getting female attention and said, hey, that's that's the way to go. So there was a desire, like we all have this desire for acceptance, belonging, for attention, for something that we're not getting. And that's what I see being played out right there. Absolutely. It, it was 100% that because I remember seeing women stick money in their, their, their pants. And I was like, what better job can there be than that? <laughs> that that's it. It was, it was validation through women. Well, wow, that's, that's amazing because we all have this, this need. We have this gap for validation for identity. And that's what, a, that's what a father's job is. So if we don't tell our sons and our daughters who they are, they're going to find that definition somewhere else. And that's where the enemy comes in and distorts it and perverts that purpose. So um, that, that's, that's really interesting. So Rob, that comment about Esau, that, that's hard hitting because we all have this birthright. And we could say the birthright represents a lot of things. It's your inheritance, but it's really your purpose. So unpack that a little bit more for us. Yeah, absolutely. So if you look back all the way to the beginning, Adam and Eve, a lot of people think that Eve was created at the same time as Adam, and she wasn't. Adam didn't get a female first. He got a job. God said, name the animals and tend to the garden. Eve came along later. And I think that that's really ties back to a principle I learned in a great book called uh, Think and Grow Rich, where he talks about sex transmutation, Napoleon Hill. And so he said, so your sexual energy can be harnessed and it can be rechanneled to accomplish things, you know, build a mass wealth, create uh, different inventions. He's like people of notable achievement throughout history have used their sexual energy to, to do great things. And I really believe that that is the proper order is, is what happens is you, you harness that sexual energy and it, it steers you into your purpose. And then the person comes along to help you achieve it. What I think we do now, the mistake that people make now is we get per person before purpose. So we get, we don't want to wait. Nobody wants to, to save, you know, deprive themselves of, of sexual gratification. And then they, they get their person and they never find their purpose because they didn't harness the sexual energy to help them find it. And then they dri drift into a relationship with, with a girl that maybe was not, not their best. Yes. And then they don't even get into the purpose. They, they work some BS job that doesn't fulfill them. And they kind of have this gnawing feeling that maybe they're here to do something more, but they can't figure it out. And so they watch football and drink beer on the weekends to escape reality because inside they, they feel the pain of not, of knowing that they're not achieving their purpose. So if you look at my life over the last 10 years, I've accomplished way more than I did at 38 before that, 39 before that, I'm 49, but because before I was having lots of sex and I was just, you know, putting my energy out in all these different places. But when I really stopped and I harnessed it, I wrote books and started nonprofits and did coaching programs and all kinds of things because I had to do something with that energy. And now when I do meet the woman, she's going to play this, you know, uh, I love what John Etheridge says. A woman wants to play an irreplaceable part in a great adventure. Now I have a great adventure to take her on before. If I would have met her before, I had nothing to take her on. We would have sat around and watched football on the weekends and, you know, like a drink beer because I didn't have anything to, so now, I, and that's the right order. It's, it's purpose before person, harness that sexual energy and then wait, save the sex in order to know that you're saying your best yes. That's really the point in all this. It's not even a matter of just, you know, I'm, I'm waiting to have sex till marriage. No, the, the, the not having sex, the making the decision to not have sex really evaluate your heart to say, is this my best? Yes. So Rob, what I'm hearing you say, man, is this is, this is an incredible story, but this concept of delayed gratification, it really is a key, not only in the life of a follower of Christ, 
but in the life of anyone successful, because I mean, you were able to put down these, you know, fleshly appetites, these carnal distractions, these things that you're, you know, these cravings that every guy has. And when you were able to control that and put that under, you increased your productivity off the chart and look at all you've accomplished. So tell me a little bit more, because I see when Jesus invites men to follow him, there's this concept through scripture where anything worth having is worth fighting for, it's worth waiting for, and it's this whole concept of delayed gratification. Yeah, I love it. I actually touch on that in the book. Um, are, you, are you familiar with that marshmallow test? I am, yeah. But why don't yeah. you just recap the Stanford marshmallow test for anyone that doesn't know about it? Yeah, so I think it was like in the 70s or something, and they followed, they they tested these kids. They, you know, A teacher would come in the classroom and put a little tiny marshmallow in front of them and say, hey, look, if you leave that marshmallow there, don't touch it, and when I come back, I'll give you two marshmallows. And then they would walk out of the room and most of the kids would eat the marshmallow. But there was a few kids that was able to not. And what they did is they followed those kids all throughout their lives. And what they found was that they did better across the board at everything. And they, they were better grades. They made more money. They were in better physical health. And it all goes back to the late gratification. It's putting off something that you want now for something better later. And I, I think it's a principle that's true with everything. It doesn't matter like, you know, like money, education. Whatever it is, you know, if you want to go buy a house, you can't just go out and buy whatever you want right now. So it, it works the same for for relationships and love. And all the studies are there to prove it. People always push back on me on the whole waiting thing. And they're like, oh, you got to take it for a test drive. And I'm like, well, if try before you buy works so good, then why is the divorce rate 50%? Because that's what everybody's doing. It doesn't even, and they can't, of course, they can't answer that. So is it, is it higher than 50% these days? I feel like it's much higher than that. Yeah, I don't know. I think, you know, what I think it is. I don't think as many people are getting married. So maybe it, mm -hmm. maybe it hasn't increased because now mm -hmm. people talk about like, you know, who wants to get married, which honestly, I have a, something to say there too. Because to me, marriage really is, it's semantics on a certain level. Because every person listening, if I was to say to you, whether if there are men out there that aren't sure if they want to get married, I bet you they would say they are sure of this, that do you want to find your best friend that you're physically attracted to that can help you reach your purpose in life. Everybody's going to say yes to that. Well, great. Don't have sex before marriage and I'll help you find her. Now marriage is just the way to do it. And this is, you know, we have, uh, you're friends with Elliot Hulls. Um, I know who he is. I'm not right. friends with him. Yeah. So Elliot was, I was talking to him about it and I said, you know, he's like, well, can't, can't you just make like a solemn oath? Does it have to be marriage? I'm like, the reason that marriage works so well is because you, it's going to be painful to get out of. That's when you really find out if your heart's lying to you, because the Bible says the heart's deceitful and desperately wicked. I could be dating a girl and really want to have sex with her and probably convince myself that I'm in love. And then go to her and say, hey, I, I, I love you. I, I want to be with you for the rest of my life. Let's have sex. But if she says to me, let's just run down to the justice of the peace real quick, I'm going to be like, let me think about this a little longer. And that's the point. Well, I see, I see marriage in scripture as a covenant, right? That, that there's, a, there's a commitment behind it. It's not casual. You don't enter into it casually, you know, in Old Testament times and in Bible times. There would be dowries exchanged. There'd be everything would be arranged and set up. There'd be a big celebration, but there was a, a massive commitment involved. And whenever God does anything, he does it with a covenant. So to me, I look at the marriage covenant as sacred, it's holy. And if it was casual, it wouldn't be any of those things because it wouldn't cost anything. So then the value wouldn't be there. Exactly. No, it, it, it's got to be costly. Right. And I think there's got to be cost to anything you commit to, because if you're going to make this commitment, you have to see the prize. You have to see the finish line of what am I getting at the end of delaying all this gratification? Just like the marshmallow test, they knew what they were going to get and the reward was going to be that much greater if they could wait. So it's an amazing concept. And we see it all through scripture too, right? Because it's actually one of the fruits of the spirit is self-control, being able to delay instant gratification because Let's face it, Rob, sin is pleasurable for a season. So there's this instant pleasure that you receive, um, but it doesn't sustain, it doesn't fulfill. And, and unfortunately, you experience that. Yeah, oh, for sure. I, I love, actually, you're the, one of the only persons, other persons besides myself that I've heard say this is like talking about Jesus calling his followers disciples because it is the, it's the root word of the word discipline. And he could have called them a lot of things, you know, followers, monks. I mean, I don't know, students. He said disciples. I mean, that's the root of the Christian walk is discipline. 
Yeah. Now let let me let me put a bookmark here for a minute. I want to say something about this because we have different streams of Christianity, and some there is a stream of Christianity that focuses on outward disciplines, and it kind of it can get legalistic. We have another stream of Christianity where they're they're so focused on anti-rules and anti-legalism that they get weirded out if they hear the word discipline. I don't. I, you know, I dedicated multiple chapters to this in the standard that Jesus is a man of discipline. His followers are called disciples. Um, that really means a learner, but we see the word discipline all through scripture. And so I just want to make this really practical for me in my life because it's relationship first, but because I have a high priority relationship, I have disciplines I practice because they keep my relationship in order. So it's the same thing with Christianity. I have a discipline not to let my eyes wander and not to just look at anything casually because that's out of respect for my wife. Um, so there's nothing wrong with discipline. It's not legalistic when it's in the proper context of the right relationship. Yeah, it's not earning you his love. Right. But if, if you embrace discipline, it's going to lead you to everything you want most in life. Absolutely. It is. You know, like if you 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 lift weights, you know, like if you... If you were dieting for, I did bodybuilding in my early twenties and okay, uh, I did too. So, yeah. So there's, you know, there's a lot of delayed gratification involved there, a lot of discipline and, you know, I, really what I think works there too, is like when you sign up for a bodybuilding contest, it's the pain associated with the fact that if you get up on stage and you don't look good, you're going to be embarrassed. So that's really what yeah. it's, it's literally like, exposed. You will be right. Exposed. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so you, you're like, Oh my gosh. So really kind of put your back against the wall, but for sure, uh, it, discipline will lead you to what you want most in life. It's not going to make God love you anymore. Right. Right. Absolutely. Um, but you know, he says that um, he takes pleasure in those that seek him diligently. There's a, he's a rewarder of those who seek him diligently. So there's something about using disciplines in our life as guide rails, as boundaries that um, really pleases him in the relationship. So I totally agree with that. And this is a message that all men need to hear. Let's talk about the downside. We talked about you know how it can protect our purpose by waiting. But let's dig into, and I'm I'm going to ask you, you know, like during those years, like what was going on with you? Like what was, obviously there is this, this pleasure side that was lighting up, but what about the negative effects? Um, what did you notice? How did that hit you personally? And then just conceptually as well? Yeah, well, for sure. So I, I was, uh, when I first met the Lord, I was absent for six years. Okay, I waited for this girl to come along was trying to find a community of believers that I could, you know, do life with because I didn't really relate to a lot of other Christians. I wasn't raised around it too much. I mean, I had a little, little exposure as a kid. Um, so I, I was alone a lot. I isolated a lot, six and a half days a week for the most part. I, I either worked or kind of was, was alone. I went to a lot of movies. I assumed that if I didn't sin long enough, God would give me a wife. And, um, and then I backslid because of the, I think it was, it was inadvertently. I just, uh, I started giving myself some freedom. I wanted to be around people again. I started going to the bars on the weekends, started drinking too much, fell back into sexual sin, made a bunch of more mistakes in that area. And then I rededicated, um, t 10 years ago. What are you going to yeah, say? I want to, I want to just jump in real, real quick there because I just want to trace what happened there because that's a big learning for all of us. Because when you changed your environment and you went back into the places where there is temptation, and where you know you stumbled in the past, that sets you up for failure, right? It was going back to oh, the yeah. old lifestyle. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I, I guess I thought I was stronger than I was when I did it, and I had good intentions. I actually led a Bible study in a bar uh, on Thursday nights. I was I got back into promoting in 2006. I had been I had been the biggest promoter in the city. Became a Christian six years later. I could feel God giving me the green light to go back into promoting. Shocked me. It's like, okay, I guess I'm going to reach people from the inside. So I started promoting again on Saturday, had the hottest club in town, 800 people come into the club. Thursdays, I was leading a Bible study. We were in purpose-driven life in the club. And anybody that would come to the Bible study, I would let in for free to the club on Saturday nights and you know didn't have to wait in line or pay a cover. And it was great. It blew up. I had like 40 people, 50 people coming to the small group. And it was like strippers and drug dealers. And it was, and it was awesome for a minute. And because I didn't have good accountability, it I and that's when I started sinning sexually. And I, and 
I had the best intentions, but the devil got me. So if you're going to do that, <laughs> you got to make sure you, you know, you got to have a, a team of people, a, a pastor would draw out, uh, just kind of like an illustration for me once and he was showed a, like a river of sin and these people floating down it and he said where's the best place to reach people is it up high up there on the bank or is it with one foot in the water i said it's one foot in the water he said yeah but you got to be careful because it'll pull you in and he, and he he drew all these people connected like holding on to each other on the bank and when i look back at what we've been able to do with city fam i really feel like that's what we're we're doing because we are going into the places and pulling people out one by one and, and, uh, but they're strength in numbers. So, you know, all that to say is don't try to go home. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Avoid isolation. That's a, that's a huge lesson for any of us listening because, uh, Rob is guys like, we think we can do everything, right? Like we think we are strong because we'll get in the moment and we feel like, nah, my commitment, I'm a warrior. I can do whatever I want. And as you've seen, and, and I'm sure many people listening have seen that, that, you know, once our enemy can isolate us and put us in a different environment, um, it's it's tough without accountability and without a group of brothers and people watching your back for you and helping you and speaking and correcting you as well. So that's a that's a powerful illustration there. The word says the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Right. You know, so and it also says flee, flee youthful lust or, you know, that's the only thing we're actually supposed to run from is because yeah. it is such a strong pool. But to answer your question, how did I feel? So before I became a Christian, my relationships were a mess. I mean, it was chaotic at, at best. And, uh, you know, I would be with girls and I was in love with the idea of them. I love them as people, but I couldn't force myself to be in love because I had gotten a soul tie from having sex too, too soon. And I got stuck with them. And I, it was like, it was like, being torn in two directions. Cause I, in my mind, I loved them and I wanted to be with them, but I couldn't force myself to only have eyes for them. And again, it's because I, I didn't wait and evaluate my heart on a deep level. Now, after I, I became a Christian, when I backslid, it, you know, I did have a lot of, uh, a lot of sexual encounters and it was always fun in the moment. But when I look at myself in the mirror, I was completely empty because I knew God was probably disappointed with me. I knew I wasn't living up to my potential. And I really wasn't doing anything of purpose with my life. I wasn't at really adding value to anybody's life. So I, I, I look back on that, that time. Cause I wonder like, why did God let me go back into the bars? You know, as I was, I was completely content with not, but I do think that if I hadn't backslid and, and felt the way that I felt about myself when I was, when I was far from him, um, I wouldn't be able to do what I'm doing now because I, I had to experience that pain is that I had never, from the moment I met the Lord, I, I turned so hard. I was kind of self-righteous, actually. I was like pretty proud of myself. And I knew all the verses that I would quote people to tell them, like, you know, if you're, if you're still sinning as a Christian, why are you going to hell? I would tell people. And uh, so I was kind of a jerk. And then um, after I got me, it really humbled me, but it also enabled me to do what I'm doing now, because there's times where I get lonely and I get depressed. And, uh, and if, but it's better than that. It's almost like if, if God let Adam and Eve come back into the Garden of Eden after they had, you know, taken from the knowledge of good and evil, you know, do you think they would have done it again? Mm, probably not, right? <laughs> they wouldn't have done it a second time. It's like, God, now that I'm back and he's using me, I'm like, there are times where I'm still tempted. But it's better than being distant from him. I know that now. Yeah. Well, you know, let's talk about that for a minute. What what guidelines, what disciplines, what boundaries do you live by right now to ensure that um, there's not another failure. Like, how could you encourage young guys right now that might be struggling? You know, they might be lonely or, or they've already had sex and now they're, they're trying to live a pure life. How do you coach? How do you encourage the singles that you work with, um, to maintain that path of purity? Yeah. I think the first thing is you have to get really clear about your why. So for me, a big part of the reason that I'm able to, to walk the narrow path is because I have a really clear vision of where I'm going with my life. And I don't think God's going to bless it. If I have some secret sin, cause I, if, trust me, the thoughts cross my mind where I'm like, you get, sometimes you get lonely. Like, well, I could do something and not tell anybody. God's not going to bless that. He probably is going to expose it actually. So I would say, get very clear about your purpose and what you're wanting to do. And it should be so big that you can't do it on your own. Or, and if it's because if it doesn't intimidate you, it offends God, you know, your vision. I believe that's true. So, like, when I was really trying to get my act together, when I rededicated my life and get, get sexually pure, 
um, you know, like there were many times where I would sign covenants with God where I was like, okay, God, I'm not going to look lustfully at a woman for, you know, three weeks or whatever the period of time was. And I would ask him to bless me if I was able to keep the covenant. Now I'm asking him to help me keep the covenant too. Give me the grace to actually be obedient in this area. But if I don't keep it, God punish me to it. So I would actually kind of, it was the gas and the break for me, but a lot of the, uh, a lot of me being able to break some strongholds in that area of my life was because I really wanted God's help to, to accomplish the vision. Cause it, it, I knew I was going to be really gratified when I was able to write the book or start the nonprofit or whatever the thing was. And I wanted that more than I wanted to jerk off or whatever thing was in the moment. So, it, and sometimes I'd go to bed depressed because I, I really wanted to masturbate and that would have you know, made me feel a little bit better that night that I was feeling sorry for myself, but I didn't. And then I wake up feeling great cause I didn't do it. So for me, it's like, I would say, got to know why number one, why are you doing it? Besides just like, it's a sin, you know, like there should be some almost a selfish, uh, motive for you. And I would say selfish because of what everything I'm doing is kingdom, but it, it on some level it's selfish because it, again, it's very gratifying. Um, but then also good accountability, have somebody in your life that you can be really honest with. And, um, you know, I, I'll just give you an example. I, I take it to the, to the extreme where I'll usually just talk about my mistakes on social media because when I backslid, when I was working in the bar and I had the Bible study, I had sex with a girl. I hadn't had sex in like six years, felt had sex, kept it quiet, made a second mistake about a month later, kept it quiet. And people found out and they confronted me and it was like harsh. So now I'm like, that's never going to happen to me again. I'll just tell. So there's been times I've had two mistakes in the last 10 years. I went on social media and confessed it. And I've had some close calls, same thing. You know, one did a video uh, a vlog the other day where I, I, you know, masturbated like five times over the course of two or three weeks was talk chit chat with this girl and it just kind of escalated and got me all worked up and i went on social media because i'm like if i tell it number one then i you know people expect to hear okay well you know <laughs> if it's still happening or did you and for me it just gets it out in the open and people respect the hell out of it so if you yeah, i'm not saying that everybody has to go on social media and confess their sins but for me, with the platform that I have, I feel like it's justified. But if you can at least get like one other man in your life that that has done it, you know, has maybe waited or at least believes in the value of it and just be brutally honest with them. That's what I'd recommend. Yeah, I mean, that's that's powerful. You're being super authentic and vulnerable. But Rob, let me give you the biblical principle behind that, because this applies to every man. When you decide to go after something and when God calls you to do something, and when you start to step forward in faith to go after that thing and take that mountain where he's calling you to go, you will be tested on your way there. And when you make a declaration, it's not just God that's listening to you. The enemy hears you. He knows what you're doing, and he's going to do everything to derail that. So whatever we say, we get tested on. I mean, I remember just really vulnerable when I started this podcast. I'm like, what am I doing? Like some days I wake up and I'm like, well, you know, what am I trying to do here? Like who's listening to this? What's the message? And everyone that's called to do anything, you're going to get tested and there's going to be self-doubt. There's going to be attack. There's going to be temptation. There's going to be weakness. And we have to come out of it stronger by leaning on him even more. So when you make that declaration, that that's the principle, you'll be tested. But when you pass the test, you increase in authority with that assignment that you've been called to go after. So good. Uh, and I highly encourage people to declare it because for me, if I hadn't said a lot of the things, I don't think I would could have continued because if I was the only one that knew that I was going to do this thing or, or I believe this, like when I was really started talking about the practicality of waiting, cause I really was figuring out, it kept me in check because now all of a sudden I've been talking about waiting and now I actually have to do it, you know, so there's power and sometimes you got to say it before you do it. You know, um, let's just, I want to wrap up this section where we're talking about, you know, the impact on you as you engage in sexual sin, um, not you specifically, just conceptually as well, because we do see that, you know, sin is sin, sin separates us from God, but there are different types of sin. There's classes of sin. And we see that sexual sin is in a unique category 
it actually says in Proverbs that um, it's Proverbs six thirty two. I actually pulled it up here, so I'll just I'll just read it. But the one who commits adultery or sexual sin with a woman is lacking sense, and he would destroy himself who does it. So it's actually your you mentioned soul ties. So it's like giving a part of your soul to another person because that bond is intended through sex and through that union that God created for two people to to bond together. Um, I want to just hear your thoughts on soul ties. And, and then also I want to talk about for, for people that have been through that, how they get restoration in that area. Yeah. So I look at soul ties almost like from a biological standpoint, because I've done a little bit of research in that area where, you know, I think for a man, when a woman wants to offer you sex, it's like, it's like free money. It's so hard for a man to say no to sex, especially when it's being served up to you as easily as it is now without even, you don't even have to tell them that you'll commit and they'll give it to you. So it's like, it's almost like, well, why would I say no to this? You know, it's, and it, it's called the sex trap and this is how it works. So a woman, when she has sex with a man, she releases oxytocin during orgasm and that's the bonding hormone, but men do not. We release oxytocin when we commit, not when we have sex. So that's why guys can hit it and quit it a lot easier than a woman. Okay. Now what happens is, is you're going to, you know, if you were to make that mistake and take the sex, you're either going to immediately lose interest, which I did hundreds of times, or sometimes you'll continue to have sex with one of them and you'll drift into the relationship. And why I say drift into it is because, you know, like at some point you get to the, you get to a place where you, you're like, you've been having sex, dating, whatever you want to call it for three months. And now it's like, all right, it's, you know, you're going to commit. And it's either like you got to let her go off and date and maybe have sex with someone else or you got to man up and now make her your girlfriend because it's been three months and you feel obligated because she's been giving you sex. And then you do it out of obligation because she deserves it. She deserves to be my girlfriend. She's been putting up with so much of my crap. That's happened to me multiple times. And now you're not in a relationship based on love. You're based on a relationship. You're in a relationship with somebody based on obligation because you feel guilty so that's what's called the sex trap. And then, so the, this is what happened to me in my first relationship. We were together for four years. I cheated multiple times because I she we weren't connected on a deep level. I couldn't bring myself to tell her I wasn't in love with her because I knew it would crush her. So, But finally, one day I worked up the courage and I said, I'm not sure if I'm in love with you. She started crying. I started crying. And about a month later, she 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 started dating someone else. She left me and started dating someone else. And I... And, you know, I dreamt of being a single for four years. And guess what happened when she started dating somebody else? It threw me into a deep depression because now all of a sudden I was like, she flipped the table on me and, and I w it made me so depressed and crazy. And I was like calling her and trying to get her back. And after about two months, I convinced her to come back to me and it was great for about a week. Was that and because that of the hunt? Is that because men are hunters and you just wanted something that just seemed off limits to you? So you're like, if, if. Someone else can get her. No, I want her back. I had the control over. And when I had it, it's, I didn't want it. It smothered me. I couldn't breathe. And then when I didn't have it, I, I had to have it back. It was the weirdest thing. So it's like a cycle. She, yeah. she started dating somebody else, threw me into depression. I convinced her to come back. It's great for about a week, returns exactly to the same dynamics. And I'm thinking, why did I do that? I was free. And this goes on for another year. Same thing. I finally tell her, I'm not sure if I'm in love with you. We break up. She starts dating somebody else, throws me into a deep depression again. Now, now I'm like, look, whatever you want, I'll do. Come back to me. I'll quit stripping. We'll move back in together. I was, I was, I knew I was caught in something, but I had zero control over it. And fortunately, she didn't come back. And I was able to, I was able to, uh, you know, she ended up marrying the person that she was dating. But I remember after I was like, what the heck was that? Like I, I was caught in something that I had zero control over. And and so then my second relationship, I. Now I'm becoming this big nightclub promoter and I'm like, I'm not going to get into that relationship crap again. Um, I'm just going to play the field and same thing. Second girlfriend, continue having sex, playing the noncommittal game for several months. And then, you know, got to the point where it was just causing too many problems and I didn't want somebody else having sex with her. I still wanted to have sex with other women, but I had to make her my girlfriend. And I was like, well, I guess this is what people mean when they say relationships are hard. No, wasn't that. It was because I wasn't asking myself the hard questions on the front end. It, over the last 10 years, there's been lots of beautiful women that came across my path through City Fam that I certainly would have had sex with. 
But I could look at them and go, is she everything that you want? And I would go, no. I didn't have to have sex with them to find that out. I already knew. But one day there's going to be a girl come across my path and I'm going to look at her and, and I'm going to ask myself that question. I'm going to be like, yeah, she is everything I want. I will gladly sign the marriage contract to have sex with her. And that's how I'll know who my wife is. And here's the other thing to add for men that I really feel like is super important. Physical attraction fades. Okay. I, I've dated really good looking women in my life. And when, when, a, when you're not connected with a woman on a deep level, which takes time to figure out, it takes time for you because everybody's seen people that initially you're like, Ooh, she's hot. He's hot. And then over three weeks go by and then you start looking at them different. Like, yeah, not for me. She's good looking, but not for me. Right. Everybody's been there lots of times. So it takes time for you to really break through the surface to see if somebody is, is right for you. And if you have a connection on a deep level without the sex, but what, ha- what happens, I believe, and I, I don't know if it was God's trick on us. I kind of frame it that way sometimes, because I think what, if, when you have sex early, with, a, with with someone that you're physically attracted to and you get that soul tie, what happens is you get stuck with them, but then the physical attraction fades. Because I've, I've dated this girls that were tens and I just wanted to go to sleep. And everybody's heard the, the term. I don't know if you, everybody listening has, but there's a term that says, show me the hottest guy, girl in the world and I'll show you a guy that's tired of sleeping with her because, because of the, you didn't wait. So it's almost like you're going to end up having less sex than the person that weighed it on the front end. And I, I feel like either way, there's a price to pay. You're either going to pay the price in the beginning by waiting and finding out if it's the right person, or you're going to get attached to the wrong person and you're going to pay a lot more on the long, the, in the long run. Because now you're fighting, you're with this person, you lo- kind of love them, you have the, I, you know, you're love, in love with the idea of them, but you're still feeling like this strong desire for other people because they're not fulfilling you on this deep level. And you didn't wait. That's why. Yeah. So when it comes to putting yourself back together again after these relationships, or for anyone that's listening that's had casual sex or premarital sex, and they're not with that person anymore, they're not the one for them. Um, how did you go about with restoration to to get right with God, but also to feel and and to break those soul ties and any kind of stuff that stuck on you from past relationships man i think i need to do more of it to be honest i've done a bunch of coaching programs i did uh freedom a couple times and we're getting ready to launch a a freedom small group if anybody's out there you want to join our virtual small group that's a great curriculum for like living out of the tree of life and has a lot to do with healing and um walking in the spirit so i've done a lot of things like that but i think i need more i'm sure i'm still jacked up in probably some areas i did like gap and landmark and things like that. But I, you know, I, I can't say I have a, a great understanding of the whole soul tie thing, like outside of the fact that it always created some unhealthy dynamics in my relationships. Well, you gave us the physiology behind it, which I think is really important to understand that part. Um, here's my take on it, Rob. I mean, I, I believe that God, in, and I love those programs. I don't know all the programs you mentioned, but I think there's some inner healing that happens when people have some trauma and some stuff they've been through and they want to just make sure they're, they're clean and pure and in a great place before they get married. Um, but ultimately what I'm really encouraged about by your story in, you know, God restores, you know, we know that he restores, like even in Psalm 23, David says, you restore my soul. There's something about restoration that even if we mess up because he has so much forgiveness for us, that he not only forgives us, but he puts us back together and he brings a restoration and he makes old things new again. So I believe when we invite him in and when we pray, and obviously there could be some soul, some junk that we got to clean up after. It's the way we walk, but God does that work. He really can clean it up. And, you know, I don't know when I was listening to your story, I'm like, you know, it's incredible. And we could have glossed over this really quick, but I want to bring it up now is when you were in the depth of your sin, when you were living that lifestyle and, um, and going through all the stuff that you were going through, you, you just mentioned it casually, but I think it's a big deal. You were in Mexico and you have an encounter with God Dude, so in good. the middle of your sin, right? Like, let's just highlight this for a minute because it speaks on so many levels, but mm. it's like the father going after, you know, leaving 99 to go after the one, like I want Rob, I have a purpose for Rob. I'm going to get him. It's, um, it's the story of the prodigal. It's the story of, you know, just God's love for us that he gets us and pulls us out, even when you're living in total darkness and your, your, your actions are totally disobedient and offensive 
and sinful that he still loves you and his love knows no boundaries in that situation. Man, that's such a good point, Josh. I was actually thinking about that a little bit this morning because I was, I was at my most morally depraved uh, point of my life. I mean, I was always kind of bad, you know, as an adult from stripping to a club promoting the girls, but I was really just really depraved at that point. And I, I was in Cancun, Mexico with all these people were partying like rock stars. And then literally the next morning I get baptized in the Holy spirit. I'm like, yeah, I mean, the, I have actually have the verse tattooed on me. First Timothy, uh, one 15 and 16 about, you know, being the worst sinner. And that's why he chose me, you know, because it, it displays his unlimited patience, but, um, it's, it's, it's a great point to mention. That's amazing. You know, let me just, I got to pause here for a minute. Just tell people listening, like you don't have to clean yourself up first before you come to God. Like if you're dealing with stuff, because we get caught in this cycle, we mess up, we sin, maybe it's sexual, maybe it's not even that, maybe it's something different. And then you beat yourself up for a while and you're like, I'll try harder. I'm just going to work harder. Like I'll use more willpower. I'll sign a covenant. I'll put boundaries in my play. I'll do all this outward stuff to try and earn approval. And God's like, you can't earn it. And guess what? You can't discipline your flesh to become spiritual. You got to crucify it. That's the way it happens. So I, I love uh, I love the story. And I just want the lesson and the take home to be that, guys, stop trying to do self-improvement when there's sin. You just repent and he makes you right and he restores you. Um, let's talk about this. I looked at your page for the book and I'm going to drop it in the link. So anyone that wants to get um, Rob's book, Why Waiting Works and all the bonuses, we'll drop that below so you can get it. And some of the things you have there, I want to get your thoughts on the one. You, you talk about, you have a concept in there about, you know, what is that concept and what are your thoughts on people that say, hey, there's one for you? I don't know if I believe if there's one or, or multiple ones. I'm not sure, in all honesty. I don't think that there's, uh, if there are multiple ones, I, I wouldn't say there's a large percentage of the population. You know, so like, let's say it's, I don't know, 1% of the opposite sex out there you could be happy with. Okay. But I kind of like look at it as this, is if you don't wait, then your chance of, of finding that 1% even, or that one, if that's even greater, uh, that's even far less likely is, is, uh, is going to be diminished if you're, if you're not waiting, cause you get hemmed up with women along the way, you know, because of the sex. So yeah, I don't know. I, I felt like God told me that, that there was a specific person for me. And, um, I never, you know, he never brought her along and here I am still, you know, single at, at 49 years old, but I am believing that, I, you know, I'm believing there's going to be a payoff in that department. There's already been huge payoffs and, and me following this path and the things I've been able to accomplish, but, I'm hoping that the, the woman is going to be the icing on the cake. Mm, yeah, I believe so. Um, you know, this is the way of, I, I've heard explained um, the will of God. This is one of the best ways to explain it. Sometimes we can get caught up in the one and that can really spin us out of control. Did I miss the one? Was it that one? Because God knows the end from the beginning. So he knows who you're going to be with. And I look at it this way, and this is the best analogy I've ever heard. So I'll share this with people. And it may not even be, it may not even be about the one. It might just be about the will of God in my life. Like, so I think God made our personalities and he's really interested in what we like. I think he likes, like, he wants you, Rob, to have a perfect, like have a favorite color. I don't think he wants to tell you what your favorite color is. So I do think there's an element of choice in who we choose and who, who we want to be with and what features are attractive to us and, and personality traits and all those things. So here's the analogy is that the will of God is like a parking lot. Now, a parking lot has boundaries. Don't go outside and, and park off the parking lot. But within that parking lot, there's multiple slots. And some things, not everything, but some things, God gives you some choice where you get to choose what you want or what you want to do. So you could have a choice in life. It could be like, hey, there's two job opportunities in front of you. Which one do you like? Which one would you personally like to have? I think they're both permissible at times. And God says, what do you prefer? Yeah, no, I like that. And I do think that what you said, though, at times, because sometimes there is a, there is a, a, a path that he's going to have you go down that you won't like. You know, that doesn't maybe even make sense. 
that's a great that's a great um that's a great point to balance it because we're not talking about everything when he calls you and when he gives you instruction um no it's not going to be where you get a choice in what you have to do because every man goes through a preparation process and you can't choose um no thank you i don't want to go through that process or no thank you i don't want to pick up the cross in that area of my life so we're not talking about those those types of boundaries so right. that's a great clarification rob thank you yeah or he might even have you marry someone that you don't prefer like i think about gomer right what was the prophet that married the prostitute I'm sure he didn't want to do that. You know, and I think there's probably lots of other examples I was to sit here and think of them, but not to say that anybody should go out there and do that. Make sure no. you're very clear that <laughs> God's telling you to do that if you but I know for me, I definitely wouldn't have chosen a lot of what I you know, I wouldn't have chosen to be abstinent for seventeen in the last twenty two years. Hell no, I would not have chosen that. But I knew that there were definitely seasons where God was not telling me to date. He wasn't, he wasn't even giving me the green light to date, not even just who he wasn't even saying it was time. So, and it was hard, but I definitely feel like I got closer to him and it, it enabled me to really focus on everything that he's been able to build through me. I I was talking about it last night. Actually, I think I mentioned this is some, you know, Paul wrote a lot of the Bible through the through prison and Pilgrim's Progress is written in prison. Sometimes God's got to sit you down to get you to produce the thing that you actually want to do or that he wants from you or for him to reveal what he wants to reveal to you. He just wants you in a place of solitude. And I really feel like that was true for me. Um, so I don't know if that kind of ties into our conversation, but. Well, I think, yeah, I mean, I think that that's part of the process God uses to make us the man and prepare us for marriage and prepare us for relationships and leading a family. So we all go through that process. There's no shortcut around it. Um, everyone goes through it. Jesus went through a preparation process of 30 years in obscurity before three and a half years of ministry. Paul goes through it. Moses goes through it. I don't think we could find any man of God in scripture that just goes right onto the scene right after a word from God. Like they always go through a process. So that's guaranteed. And that's conforming us to Christ. That's refining our character. That's preparing us to be the leader he calls us to be. And, you know, with the, you mentioned, you know, like Haggai and Gomer, the Old Testament thing. I think that's really like a prophetic picture of something he had to do as part of his calling an Old Testament prophecy. Um, But yeah, I I see the concept there. And the point is that we are going to no doubt be called to do difficult things and undergo discipline because that's the mark of a son and we're really sons. So, you know, I have sons and, you know, discipline is part of the package to make them who they're called to be. And it's not discipline because I enjoy, you know, sitting them down and having tough conversations. It's discipline because I see the potential and I want to, I want to form them so they can reach their full potential. So Rob, as we, as we wind down here, if you were talking to your former self, let's just talk about like, I got a lot of guys in their 20s, early 30s. Um, they they have a dream. They know they're called to do something. They feel this call for greatness. Um, they're walking with the Lord. They want to accomplish everything they can. Uh, but at the same time, the struggle's real. The struggle's real, right? We got human physiology, you know, our biology working against us. We got the world and its systems. We got distractions. We got all the stuff that's around us, um, which are basically just, you know, traps being set that the enemy wants us to stumble into. What's the advice that you give to that young man or your younger self that is trying to maintain purity, has his eyes on doing something bigger? but still finds himself at this place of like restlessness and struggle and trying to figure out how do I navigate through all this stuff? Yeah, it's a good question. I, I mean, I definitely has to tie, tie back to the vision for me, uh, be getting clear and then keeping in front of you all the time. You know, the, the definition of failure is trading what you want most for what you want right now. So get really clear about what do you want most and then keep it in front of you all the time. I listen to my vision statement every day on my drive into work. Um, so it does keep it right in front of me, but you know, uh, looking back, like I'm going to be 50 years old later this year, never had kids, never been in love. Like there, I, I, there's some regret there for sure. So if you, if I was a young guy listening, I'd be like, man, you, you know, it'd be very attractive to go out and marry young. I, I, if I could go back, you know, 25, 30 years, man, I would, I would do it all different. I would get I would marry and have kids. 
So I, I would make that the goal. Unfortunately, that wasn't my goal. It was never my goal growing up. I wanted to be a playboy. I mean, it was because of that lack of a father in the home. I think I never saw a loving relationship modeled for me. So if you're in that place where you, maybe you didn't have a father in the home, realize that that is what you should be striving for. That should be your ideal. Um, and if it already is your ideal, then I would just encourage you the way to find that person is to wait. You got to do what, if you want what everybody else has, you get, you can do what everybody else does. And that's a 50% divorce rate. But if you want something that other people don't have, you got to do what they won't do. And that is wait. And that is be a real man, like a Tim Tebow, you know, who I just have so much respect for. I could have done, he could have had sex with any woman he wanted and he didn't do it. He didn't buy into the lies. So I would say, you know, be, be a real man and women. I'll tell you what, they respect the heck out of it. Like when you come along and you're like, Nope, I don't, they're just like, you're, you're a man amongst men. Like nobody there, you stand out. So I would encourage anybody if you're having questions about it, it's the right way to go. Be bold, you know, and, and stand your ground and just keep that vision in front of you and set up good boundaries. Make sure you have really good boundaries. Cause again, it's just so easy to fall into it inadvertently and then have good accountability. Rob, it's such solid advice. It's so amazing. Um, hey, you said something I got to dig into. Tell me about your vision statement and and what's your practice with that? Like, did you record it on audio and it's something you keep in front of you all the time? Yeah. So my I first met with a life coach about 11 years ago. It was right after I rededicated my life. My pastor's wife was a life coach. And I remember driving to the meeting and I thought, what is a life coach? This is going to be a waste of time. I thought that. And she asked me, you know, she had the whole wheel of life. She asked me the eight different priority areas of my life. She asked me questions in each area. I, I answered them. And then the next time I met with her, she said, close your eyes, lean back and close your eyes. I closed my eyes. And she read this, she read it, that what she read wrote based on my answers. And it was the most perfect life that I'd ever heard because it was based off of what I wanted. You know, I had basically written it. And I, at the end of I opened my eyes and I, and I said, if I could have that life, if, if, if there's even a chance I could have that life, I would do anything. And she said, well, you can do it. You can have it. You just got to make some changes. And that was really what set me off because now I had a destination. Once I knew where I was going, I was like, now I had something worth going through the pain for. Like, because it was pain to change. So, and it's evolved over time. But my vision is, you know, like I, I want to, I want to, I want to lead a lot of people to Jesus because I believe he's coming back soon. Um, and I, I want to, uh, you know, have city fams in all these different cities. Cause I do think that it's almost like a rescue party. Like we go into the places and we're disguised as just a party. Like we look like we're just having fun, but it's very strategic. So I want to, you know, start this movement and, um, hopefully lead a big revival and, um, you know, uh, get to heaven and just see a lot of people that are there because of, of, you know, some of the stuff that I had, something that I had to do with. And that for me is very gratifying. Like is, is, is bringing people to the Lord. Cause what he did in my life, I like, I was, I know where I was and like, and nobody could have done that. No human being could have done what he did for me. He told me the right things at the, exactly the points in my life that I needed to hear them in order to get me to do the things to get to this point that I'm at. And I'm like, so he is the surgeon. And uh, I want to just, you know, bring a lot of people to them. Uh, however, you know, how, I know I have a way of doing it because I used to be a club promoter, but everybody's got a different way, right? Like you're doing it through the podcast. Somebody else could be whatever profession God could use it. If he could use a nightclub promoter to bring himself, bring people to himself, he can use anything. So that's my vision. It's awesome, man. Um, Rob, we're going to drop links below, but tell us how, uh, tell, tell the listeners how people can connect with you. Awesome. Thank you. Um, so first thing I would say, if you want to pick up a copy of the book, uh, you can get a free copy. You just pay for shipping and handling at whywaitingworks.com. And there's a study guide and some other bonuses that come along with it. Um, if you'd like to connect with uh, the Waiting Works community. So like if you're you're doing this and you just want to connect with some like-minded people, we have a Facebook group of about 4,000. It's called the Waiting Works community. And if you go to reallovewaits.com, it'll take you directly there. City Fam is the uh, the nonprofit I started designed to help connect people that want to do life together. I would join the Facebook group for that. You could go to friendswithbetterbenefits.com. It'll take you directly to the Facebook group. And then me personally, Rob B. Kowalski is pretty much my username across all the channels. Awesome. 
Rob, this was great. Thank you for jumping on this episode. We learned so much. It was awesome to hear your story. You know, there's so much power in your testimony. Guys that were listening, I know you got something out of this. And until the next episode, let's raise the standard. Thank you for listening to today's episode. If what you heard here today resonated with you and you want to fully step in to be the man that God created and called you to be, then I want to give you a free guide. It's called The Map and you can get it at standard59.com. In the map, I will give you 12 biblical strategies that every kingdom man pursuing biblical masculinity must honor. If you're ready to step off the sidelines and pursue the upward call, then get the map today at standard59.com. That's standard59.com. Hey, if there's a brother in your life that needs to hear this message, then share this show with them and please leave us a rating and review. It helps get the message out there to more men. Until the next show, guys, let's raise the standard.